I can have a vigorous disagreement with somebody, but I don't have to hate them. In a week when the Supreme Court is handing down some decisions that are sure to divide America, I find a little something behind the scenes that might do the opposite. I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green. This episode of Right Angle is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com who support this enterprise with their dollars and their hearts. If you'd like to join them, just go to BillWhittle.com, click the big green button. Gentlemen, I want to read to you a quote from Supreme Court Associate Justice Sonia Sotomayor who is speaking to a group called the American Constitution Society. She did this on June 16th. This is quoted in the Wall Street Journal in their notable quotes section. And basically, I I want to read this to you and then just get your reaction, okay? Here it is. Sonia Sotomayor speaking um, at the American Constitution Society. I suspect I've probably disagreed with him more than any other justice, that we have not joined each other's opinions more than anybody else. And yet Justice Clarence Thomas is the one justice in the building that literally knows every employee's name, every one of them. And not only does he know their names, he remembers their families' names and histories. He's the first one who will go up to someone when you're walking with them and say, is your son okay? How's your daughter doing in college? He's the first one that when my stepfather when my stepfather died, sent me flowers in Florida. He's a man who keeps cares deep, I'm sorry, he's a man who keeps cares deeply about the court as an institution, about the people who work there, but about the people. You really can't begin to understand an adversary unless you step away from looking at their views as motivated in bad faith. But until you can look at their views and think about what the human reaction is that's motivating those views. Stephen Green, can you understand why this quote drew me up short and made me want to read it on this episode? Ah. There is something so fundamentally human about Clarence Thomas, uh, the decency that shines through. Uh, is, and it shines through his public persona, which is this uh, one of a quiet and stern intellectual. And I think that is I think that is the public face we want and expect and should have out of our judges. I, 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 I don't want celebrity justices. I don't want celebrity judges, any of that stuff. They're, they're supposed to sit in judgment. It's a serious business. And two things I think get me about this, and I'm, I'll wager at least one or, or both of them get you about it, is seeing that, well, that, that warm human being, that real caring human being, shine through and shine through across the aisle, so to speak, although there's no aisle on the court, of course. Um, But the other thing that gets me is Sotomayor's warmth, because for the last 30 years now, 31 years, we have seen Clarence Thomas dragged through the dirt by Democrats in, in in the kind of terms and language and with a persistence that I think might be unique in Supreme Court history. I, I, I can't think of another off the top of my head. Um, and it's happening now, too. They're going after they're going after his wife. 
with all the January 6th nonsense. And yet, still, there is Sotomayor who does not see only that stern, quiet intellectual. Um, she doesn't see the 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 somebody she wants to uh, uh, engage in a digital lynch mob, which I think were uh, uh, Thomas's words back during his confirmation hearings. Um, Sotomayor gave us a glimpse at the man. And I might not agree with her any more often than Justice Clarence Thomas does, but I got to thank her for that one. Bill Whittle, over and over in this just one little paragraph, she says of, of Clarence Thomas, he is the one justice in the building that knows everybody's name. He's the first one to go up to someone and ask how their family's doing. He's the first one when my stepfather died to send flowers to me. He is making an impact in a way that we know nothing about. It reminds me, Bill, of the conversation we had before after the passing of Antonin Scalia and his relationship with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I wonder if America would benefit of knowing maybe a little bit more about what really goes on behind the scenes at the Supreme Court rather than just it's as if, you know, it's a deus ex machina ending where they just, the God drops from the sky and hands the stone tablets to the people and then they have to obey. Uh, what was your first instinct when you heard this quote? Well, my first instinct, my first emotional response was um, in her effort to uh, bring humanity to um, Clarence Thomas, she brought an awful lot of humanity to herself. Hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I feel much more highly about Sotomayor after hearing that than I did before. That's one wise Latina you got there. Uh, <laughs> nicely. No, seriously. Nicely done. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing about the thing about Clarence Thomas in particular with the names of the people, I think there's just a little bit of um, exploration because of two things. First of all, all politics is about people. Yeah. All the decisions that these people make, monumental decisions that affect not only this generation, but generations to come that the Supreme Court has to carry on their shoulders for the rest of their lives. Those decisions are not about policies or they're about, they affect the lives of people. And if you don't love the people, this is probably the wrong job for you. And many uh, justices are so wrapped up in the intricacies of law that it becomes about what is legal versus what is moral or what is good or what is what is human, all of this stuff. And Clarence Thomas has always exhibited that in, in, in his own way with his quiet dignity. I think the other thing that's interesting about Clarence Thomas knowing the names of every, being the only person who knows the names of everybody working in the building is that Clarence Thomas not only likes people and is concerned with people, he's concerned with individuals. And individuals is the entire idea of this country. America was put here on earth so that individualism had a place to live. And to me, that reflects his, his understanding that that outside of the courtroom, it's not the great unwashed. You know, it's not it's not the masses. It's Jim and 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 you know and, and Josephine and and all of these people and all of their families. He exhibits concern about them because he cares about them. You don't you don't have to do that. You know, 
I mean, it's not cameras are not on him. He's not he's not looking for YouTube views or, or, or he's not a Kardashian. He doesn't have to do that, but he does. And, and he does because it's real. Uh, this fundamental humanity on the part of Clarence Thomas makes all of the attempts to destroy him that much more reprehensible. But 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 what we see here with Sotomayor making that remarkable statement is is evidence from the highest uh, court in the land that it is not only uh, possible, it's actually pleasant to get along with people who you disagree with so long as you do, as she said, put aside their views and see them as a person, that, that they're not evil, they have a reason for, for believing in all of that stuff. And, uh, and I'm not only very happy that we have Clarence Thomas on the on the bench. I don't agree with Sotomayor's rulings on just about anything, as she said with with Clarence Thomas. But she got there through legal means, and and she's and and she represents the views of millions and millions of Americans who I happen to agree, disagree with quite vehemently. That's how it works, you know. You 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 have to give and take, and you have to get along. And why can't we all just get along? You know, there's so much in just those few sentences that um, that really engaged my thought. Uh, first of all, um, how does one get to know all of the names of the people who are employed by the Supreme Court? I haven't looked up the number of the employees, but I imagine that there are quite a few folks working in that building. How do you get to know that? Not just their names, but their personal situations and where their son, son's life is headed and what college their daughter's going to and things like that. That's conversation on, an, on a deep level, on a consistent basis for an involved and lengthy period of time with these people. It's not like you just pass somebody in the hall and say, how you doing? And they say, my daughter went to Yale. You know, like yeah. you have yeah. to stop. <laughs> you, have to, uh, have, you have to have a conversation with them. You have to get to know them. And... It's funny because this is, you know, often considered to be a value uh, on the left of, you know, the personalization of everything. But I don't think any politician who's worth his or her salt or any justice worth his or her salt can be bereft of a concern for the human condition, can really bypass. It's, it's like, you know, having a preacher who seems warm and human at the pulpit and then seems like he's trying to shovel you out the back door of the church when the service is over. You know, thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for coming. You know, you, that what he accomplished from the podium, he lost at the door. Um, but this peak behind the scenes of the Supreme Court made me want to know more without becoming a paparazzo. You know, I, did, I don't want to open up all the personal relationships of what's going on in the Supreme Court. But I think every once in a while, having this kind of an insight into not only uh, how Justice Thomas is or the way Sotomayor is, but that relationship and interplay between the two of them is useful. Um, the other thing is uh, there was a – I forget who told me this story, but I've heard it a couple of times I think in business books um, where there was an evening class that was held at this school building um, and it was uh, for uh, business people and it was about either marketing or entrepreneurship or something like that, leadership. And um, – 
it was eight to 10 weeks and people had to come every week and go to this class and, and at night. And then at the end of the class, uh, they came into the classroom and the professor said, uh, okay, tonight is the final exam. It's only one question. And so take out your paper and your pens and get ready. Um, here's the question. What's the name of the janitor who takes care of this building in the evening? That was his measure of whether you were prepared to be an entrepreneur, a CEO, a leader, a manager. Did you take the time to talk to the guy who was pushing the mop down the hall when you came in the building? And few people did well on that test. And I'd like to do better on that test. And so maybe this is why this appealed so much to me. Um, and then the final thought is, and Bill kind of pointed this out, if you treat your ideological adversaries, and she uses the word adversary, if you treat your ideological wor uh, adversaries as if they are acting in bad faith, that's a stop sign. There's no place to go beyond there. You can't continue a civil dialogue in any way. You can't even have a disagreement if you start out that disagreement by saying, I've already negated everything that you could possibly say because of my pre-assumption that you're acting in bad faith, that you don't really believe what you say, that you have ulterior motives, that there is some sort of evil in you that is motivating you or greed or some other kind of drive. You can't have a civil society if you assume that your political opponents are motivated badly and you are acting from holy motivations at all times. <laughs> so I, I, I just love that quote, and I'll try to include that uh, with this video at BillWhittle.com when we post it there. Uh, but I'd like to see a lot more of that kind of approach to civil dialogue. I can have a vigorous disagreement with somebody, but I don't have to hate them. And I can have uh, you know, a charged debate with somebody, but it doesn't mean that I can't admire the kind of person they are and even want to be more like them. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible. 